So Troy Church, this is entry number 10 on the Westminster Confession of Faith. We didn't do all 148 questions of the Shorter Catechism, we just picked 10. And this is number 10, which has to do with the Lord's Supper. I started this series out of a little ache in my heart, even when Mike prayed that uh, so many of the modern churches are building what they're building on the feelings of the Christians teaching them how to feel things and to let their emotions lead instead of building their lives on sound doctrine. When the storm comes, you want a strong foundation in order to not only withstand, but to go through the storm and the feelings are going to abandon you. They are not something that you can count on every time. Feelings come and go, but the word of God abides forever. And so we must base our lives on the Word of God, a strong foundation. So we went over uh, 10 entries. This is number 10. Uh, we taught on uh, chapter 1, the Holy Scriptures. Chapter 2, God the Holy Trinity. Chapter 3, God's eternal decree. Chapter 4, of creation. Chapter 5, of providence. Chapter 6, the fall of man and punishment. Nobody teaches on hell anymore. Chapter 7, of God's covenant with man. Chapter 8 of Christ the Mediator. Chapter 28, I skipped all the way to the sacraments of baptism. And today I'm doing the Lord's Supper, a refreshment for us on what we're going to practice at the end of this meeting, uh, what it means to take the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> so basically, the baptism and the Lord's Supper are the two sacraments, or spiritual activities that are mandated by the Lord himself. A sacrament is what Jesus has commanded us to do. Now, the Catholic Church has seven, uh, which will make you tired if you try to fulfill all those. The Protestants have narrowed it down to two because these are the only two that the Lord has actually commanded us to do. He's commanded us to be baptized, and he's commanded us to take and eat. And so those are the two sacraments that we practice in the Protestant Church. So what is a sacrament? Question 92 of the Shorter Catechism says, a sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. So the, a sacrament is a vis visible, tangible element that represents an unseen reality. It's a visible, touchable, we can even taste element that represents an unseen reality. If you can kind of imagine it a little bit without getting too crazy here, is uh, that cup and that bread is connected like a large cable to a spiritual reality that when you're practicing it, you're entering into the reality of that spiritual truth. That's how we need to approach the table of God. That's why really the only two elements that count are faith in the Holy Ghost. Those are the only two things that really count. God just uses these things as, vi as visible means. Uh, isn't he kind? Because we, we grapple with our faith because it's all about the unseen. But God gives us some visible, tangible things to touch in order to nourish us and strengthen us and encourage us on our journey with him. These are the means by which God communicates his grace. Last time I was with the church in Troy, we covered baptism. Uh, God uses the vehicle of water to represent a cleansing power of the Holy Spirit that he does in the believer. It's the seal of the Holy Spirit 
that makes you God's possession. And it's a sign of the covenant, which means you've been circumcised in heart. And finally, it, it's unity with Christ in death, burial, and resurrection in Romans 6, by which we can live newness of life. In baptism, uh, we teach, especially the young people, but all of us need to think about these things when we come to the sacrifices, sorry, the sacraments, uh, is this, is basically they communicate this. You belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to you. And we need to be reminded that on a continual basis because what is the number one enemy tool against us is to get us to forget. We forget who we are, we forget who he is, and that's where our struggles and strivings begin. But when we come to the table, there's a solace, there's a rest, there's a conclusion in the heart that I belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to me. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now, when we come to the sacrament of the table of the Lord, the communion table, the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> we are reminded of the price that was paid by which we were purchased or bought for God. We were reminded of Christ and what Christ did. That's a, a definition of the gospel. Who is Christ and what did Christ do for me? And this is the, I was just in Guatemala at a Bible school teaching and I was teaching the students, this is really the only thing that we should be preaching. 52 out of weeks a year. Who is Christ and who you are in Christ as a reminder. When I was a youth pastor, uh, you learn pretty quick that you can teach on how to have a clean mind for 52 weeks and just change the title and the kids don't even know. And it's effective. <laughs> because they're always thinking about those things. But for us, as we mature in things, we've got to be constantly reminded that I belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to me. So the Lord's Supper represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a couple key things in case you forget everything that I said today. I'm going to give you a couple key words. One key word for the table is the word remember. It's an apostolic word. Moses used it a lot. He was an apostle building a church. Jesus used it a lot. The apostles in the writings use it a lot. The word remember. And again, that's because we're prone to forget. And the enemy exacerbates that with us to get us to forget who we are and who Christ is. So a key word is to remember. To remember you are forgiven of your sins. To remember that you're accepted by God. To remember that you belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to you. I don't know about you, but that brings a great rest to my soul. That brings a great peace that I'm God's property and God is jealous for his property. And God will protect his property and God will keep his property and God will provide his promises and fulfill them to his property. Some Christians cringe from that word that we're purchased and that we're God's property. But I find great peace in it and great satisfaction and great hope. Because if it was left to me, I probably wouldn't even be standing up before you even now. Most of my friends from college are dead <clears throat> because of drugs and the lifestyles that they've chosen. 
And God has preserved us to this day. And so the second key word I want you to remember when you come to the table is the word gratitude. Gratitude. In November, I had open heart surgery. I didn't see that coming. And uh, it's kind of renewed my prayer life a little bit that every night before I retire, I take a moment just to thank God for my life. Because they didn't tell me until the knife was about to come into my chest. By the way, we're stopping your heart during the surgery. I said, what was that last, what is that last thing you just said? You're going to do what? They stop your heart in this thing. I've never been so totally dependent on God in my life. God had to wake me up, you see? God had to start my heart again. It wasn't the doctors who were going to do it. It was going to be the Lord. And so... When I emerged, the first thought I had was, he let me live. And you may chuckle and say, you may be 21 years old and full of yourself right now, but it becomes more precious to us. And all the silverheads are nodding. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. God could snatch our life at any point that he wants, but he lets us live to enjoy our grandchildren, to watch them get baptized, to teach them the ways of God, to love them. It's, it's just, it's priceless, isn't it? I could stop there, but I'll keep going. The difference between the two sacraments is baptism is a one and done. You only do it once. And that seals you in the covenant. But the table is often. We have chosen as a ministry group to do it every week. Because I like that one hymn that says, Oh, my heart prone to wander. Uh, what is it? Fountain of every blessing, I think, is that hymn. When I was an arrogant young guy, I couldn't identify with that song, saying, uh, not me, I'm strong with the Lord. But as I discovered how humanly weak I am, I realized my utter dependence on the Lord in everything. In baptism, you were sealed as God's property covenantally. At the table, you are promised The perpetual presence, that's another key phrase for you to think of, the perpetual presence of your Lord, ready for this, for all of your existence, even to the next life. The table promises you the perpetual presence. I worked hard on that alliteration, so somebody say amen. Because I wanted you to remember it in alliterations, you can remember, perpetual presence. Some people call it quorum deo, that you're living your entire life before the face of God. He always has his face toward you. Do you know that was the ultimate of Hebrew blessing? We in the West think blessing is a car, a a job, a home. All those things are nice. The blessing for the Hebrew was that I can see God. I can see his face. So that's why Moses was the blessed of all men, because he knew God face to face. And the promise of shalom that they lived for was that I will be your God and you will be my people and you shall see my face. So always in the Hebrew mind, to have God's face toward you meant you are blessed. And so when you are sealed in the covenant, God shifts his view toward, towards you in covenant and he never stops that fixation. His eye is always on the believer. I find incredible comfort in that. 
the perpetual presence of the Lord. And I need to be reminded constantly. Now, the shorter catechism question 96 says this, what is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to Christ's appointment, his death is showed forth. And the worthy receivers are not after a corporal and carnal manner, but by faith made partakers of his body and blood with all his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Now, I read that on purpose because uh, this particular church, New Covenant, came from the Catholic tradition originally. You know, a bunch of Catholics all of a sudden started speaking in tongues and getting full of the Holy Ghost. And so when we made the switch to the two sacraments, it was a little bit tough for a lot of people to understand. But the understanding we have is from that contest that went on in the 16th century called the Reformation. <clears throat> and the, the argument still goes on in Christianity even today. Are we actually eating and drinking the physical body and blood of Jesus when we partake of the elements, bread and wine and the supper? The Catholic understanding is called transubstantiation. You've heard that word before, perhaps. And the Lutheran church teaches consubstantiation. Uh, one means uh, hoc est corpus meum. I did that to dazzle you. Some of you can entertain your friends with that. It means this is my body. And Luther held on to that during the Reformation. It was Calvin that said, now we can't go there because it's going to, it's a problem with the nature of Christ when we get there. I'm going to teach you that in a second. Transubstantiation, that somewhere in the mass, the elements actually turn into the physical body and physical blood of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a theological problem with that, and I'm going to try to make it simple for you. But then Luther held on to that, and he said, okay, I, I won't go as far to say it actually becomes it, but I am going to say this. It's in, around, within, it's as close as we can get. It's still the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't until uh, the Swiss reformers said, no, this is a violation of the two natures of Jesus Christ, his human nature and his divine nature. It was in the Council of Chalcedon, uh, 451 AD, where they said, the nature of Christ is two, one per, uh, a human and a divine, very God, very man. They are without mixture, without confusion, without division, and without separation. We do not partake of the human nature of Christ when we come to the table, but we partake of the divine nature of Christ. However, his being can't be separated. So, in fact, we are actually taking part in ingesting the body and blood of Christ spiritually. Spiritually, by faith. And that rescues us from having a physical Jesus here and we're chewing on his bones. It's, it's hard to defend, to be candid, because of the Council of Chalcedon, they said, you can't separate the natures. But in the, in the Catholic tradition and the Lutheran tradition, they do. They say the human part can come here too. No, that's not possible. So he's with us in his divine nature, but when we partake, we're partaking of the whole Christ who nourishes us and encourages us on our journey. And you're communing with him, and that has meaning. <clears throat> so the elements 
retain their character of bread and wine. But by faith, when we take it, we are communing with the Lord and we are taking in or actually declaring on the inside of us that I belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to me. That I'm in union with Christ and you can't separate us, Romans 8. That's what's taking place. Westminster Confession of Faith, number 29, chapter 29, article 7 says, we spiritually receive and feed upon Christ. Say spiritually. And feed upon Christ, crucified, and all the benefits of his death. The body, the blood of Christ being then not physically or carnally, being in, with, or under the bread or wine. But Christ is present spiritually to the faith of the believer in that ordinance. Just as the elements themselves are to our outward senses. What that means is, as clearly as we can see the bread and the wine... Our faith is as strong to say, I am taking the blood and body of Christ by faith. And that's what's happening. The spiritual presence of Jesus Christ in the elements of bread and wine. I mean, this this could be a whole 10-week series by itself. And I'm thinking about taking Troy through John 6, where Jesus unfolds this whole concept of uh, I'm the bread from heaven. But his divine nature is at the Lord's table where we meet him. This is if you exercise your faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through his divine nature, we commune with the whole Christ. We remember who he is, and we remember who we are. By faith in the Holy Spirit, Christ's spiritual presence is at the table, is as real to us as the bread and wine that it represents. The table how he purchased us and promised his perpetual presence with us forever. Now, I don't think I have to tell any believer how precious the presence of the Lord is to us. I tried one time to try to imagine what it would be like to not have that presence with me. But I got so scared in that experiment, I abandoned it. I said, I don't know that I want to experience that. Because since I've become a believer, I've noted every hour and minute of my life the presence of the Lord. Not because I feel it, because of the perpetual promise that God has made. Moses knew the value of God's presence with him. Exodus 3.10, God says to him, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. That's all that Moses needed in order to, to fulfill his mission. And you think, well, Moses was a great man. No, Moses was just like us. He was nothing more than animated dust. He did what he did because of the presence of God with him. We have to stop making heroes out of humans. Oh, I want to be like David. Oh, I want to be like Moses. No, you want to be like Jesus. And it's okay for grandchildren to say, I want to be like grandpa when I grow up or do those kind of things. But grandpa, you should always point them to the Christ because you too are only a bag of dirt. Tony, is this hard for you to receive or no? It is hard to receive because in our culture, all we hear is how great we are. 
You go to church and you feel how great I am instead of how great Christ is. It's not about you and me feeling great. It's about his greatness in us. And so Christ is always the hero. Even Jesus says, don't call me good. There's only one good. It's God. And he was setting the record straight to say, don't make a hero out of any human. <laughs> because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Later, as Moses is leading Israel through the wilderness, Exodus 33, he, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to God, this is how he values it, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? The presence of the Lord made them distinct. It was the mark of God on them. I'm suggesting to you, this is the mark of God that shows ownership in the book of Revelation. That you are a distinct people. It's not a physical mark. It's the seal. And he's renewing your mind. Remember the priest used to go into the temple with a plate over his turban and said, holy unto the Lord. That's the reference there. You belong to God. That's why no harm will come to you. The covenant signed on the people of God is the perpetual presence of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. It is this covenant sign, along with baptism, that makes us distinct from unbelievers. That's why the table is not for unbelievers. They can't casually just come in and say, I want all the benefits, but I don't want Jesus. I don't like this ownership language. I just want the benefits. That's coming to the table in an unworthy manner. You don't know who he is, and you don't know who you are. And for that reason, many among you are sick, sick and weak, is why the Protestants said we must fence the table to protect the people from dying. If they come up and shove people and, and act like gluttons and slop around the wine like it's not something sacred, they're going to pay a penalty because they are exhibiting their own unbelief. And God doesn't, he's not, God is not a casual God. He's not wearing tight jeans and a too tight t-shirt. He's a holy person, and we must always come with him with reverence and awe. Sure, there's joy, but uh, I think I, w I, can't, I was just thought of something. I can't remember who said this. Maybe you, Stephen or somebody can help me. Uh, I think it might have been C.S. Lewis, but somebody said, um, it's a joy to come to Christ, but he's not safe. He's not a safe person, unless you're born again, and you've been made holy so that you can relate to him. All right, sorry, my, my brain just started going that direction. I'm thinking about the barbecue already. When we, come, when we come to the table, which is called the table of presence in the Old Testament. Duh. It's called the table of presence in the Old Testament. We are declaring our dependency on Christ for everything. 
Like Moses was saying, if your presence doesn't go with me, there's no point on me going on in life. There's no point in me trying in my own effort. I already know that's going to fail. That's the declaration we're making when we come to the table. Just as we need food and drink to physically survive, we eat and drink the bread and the wine to be nourished by Christ. When we eat and drink the bread and wine, we are saying by faith, Christ is my life. His presence to me is everything. I cannot live without him. It's not just a gratuitous, please bless me, Lord, I'm struggling with this a little bit. It's not that. It's a declaration before God and before Satan and to you to say my whole life. It was Paul who said that, not me. In Galatians, he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so to live is Christ, he said. And that's what the Christian experience is. It's not an hour and a half on a Sunday. It's the perpetual presence of the Lord every day, all day, day and night, even while you're sleeping. Now, I'm going to say this, okay, because a lot of us will understand some of the things we came from. The charismatics are searching everywhere for God's presence. Is it in Toronto? Is it in Reading? Is it in Kansas City? Is it over here? Is it over here? Let's take a bus ride and get 100 people and go. That's all Old Testament. God resided in places, and you had to go to see him. Actually, he reserved himself to a box. How humiliating. And only one guy could get in to see him. But he came out of that box, and he's everywhere present all the time. And he's with you even if you don't feel it. Nowhere in the Bible are we told to feel God's presence. Feelings will betray you. I'll give you a short story real quick. There's a friend of mine. uh, We're real friendly. His name is Fred Bennett. He's in Memphis. We still stay in touch. He had a big church there. I think he was called Church on the Rock. Whenever I was in town, he would ask me to come preach or come meet his leaders or something. And we weren't actually working together, but we were good friends, he and Marilyn. And so uh, they saved up a bunch of money as a church, and they were meeting in this huge auditorium. I mean, like a 1,000 people or something. And it was, I can't remember, it was some kind of hall of some kind. But the acoustics were real poor. And so they had a live band, and when the band played, I mean, you could, it was so loud. Um, it's before I got hearing aids. I could uh, hardly stand. It was so loud, but they seemed to love it. And it reverberated everywhere, and it was, it was just it was crazy. But it was fun. They built a new building, and they spent a lot of money. And they built a magnificent auditorium. It's still there, I think. And they spent a lot of money, you guys will like this back there, James, on acoustics and the right things and the right sound system. So it's just perfect balance. And, and all the church came to this building, and they were so excited about their new building, and they had their first meeting. After the first meeting, half the church left. Literally, half the church left. You went down to 500 people. And Fred said, what do you, why did you leave? What's happening? The presence of the Lord is not here anymore. It's because they based the presence on the loudness and the din and the reverberation and the, and the feeling they had every Sunday. 
And now the, it's so balanced, the Lord's left. The Lord's left. His, he's not, his presence is not here anymore. That is carnal. That is immaturity. God has invested his presence in the sacraments and in the preaching and the reading of his word. Come to the waters of baptism, you will find the presence of Christ there. Come to the Lord's Supper, you will find the presence of Christ there. Read the Bible, you will find the presence of Christ there. Come to, the, come to church to hear the preached word, you will find the presence of Christ there. And even if you don't feel it, if you feel it, it's a bonus, not against feelings. But if you crave it, you're going to make carnal decisions while he's not here. And he's invested his perpetual presence in communion, which a lot of modern churches maybe have once a year because they don't like to talk about sin. God help us, right? Please help us, Jesus. We're so weak. Finally, eat and drink at the table with anticipation and hope. When you come to the table, you're remembering the price that was paid for you, and you remember his promise of perpetual presence. And at Passover, it's, it's so fascinating. Did you know the first Passover in Exodus, they were fully clothed with their belt tightened and their staff in their hand, and they ate standing up. Why is that? It's because God is an action God. He goes, it's time to go. It's time, to, it's, ki it's time to go. Don't sit here and just celebrate all night while the firstborn are being killed in all the land of Egypt and they're being protected. But now it's time to go. It's time to pursue the purposes of God. It's time to come out of Egypt and come to me and serve me and worship me, not Pharaoh. He had you building his stupid pyramids. I'm going to have you building my kingdom, extending my church, extending my glory to the ends of the earth. So get ready. Eat this. It actually uses the word in haste. They didn't have time to memorialize or anything. They just they ate it with anticipation that this table is taking us somewhere. The presence isn't just hovering over us for us to soak in it or get drunk in it. He's taking us somewhere. Follow the Lamb wherever He goes. He's achieving something in this earth, and you're with Him. And His presence is with you to achieve God's purposes. The simple elements of bread and wine represent the banquet of the marriage supper of the Lamb which means and indicates in the book of Revelation that the kingdom has come in fullness and all of God's enemies have been subdued and wiped out. And now the kingdom is here in fullness. And what happens at the marriage supper of the Lamb? We will fully know, the last two, two chapters of Revelation tell us, the presence of Jesus face to face. So though we only know in part the presence of the whole Christ, it's still enough to get us through this life and to press us through to the end of perseverance. 
but there is an existence for us where we will fully know the presence of God and faith won't be a factor because it'll be a reality that we've always hoped for, that we've always pulled, whenever we came to the table and say, I will be with him forever. And to see his face and to commune with him in person. I just hope it's not fish all the time because I'm not a fish fan. But there'll be no calories. There will be no diabetic pens. There will be no heart medications. There will be no tears. There will be no sorrow. There will be no sadness. Only joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that's what this table represents. And it says to you, you are a part of that forever. Nothing will separate you from this mission. Nothing will separate you from the love of God to him fulfilling his perpetual presence with you. So let me close the table, uh, close this message with the table connects us to this. I said it, think of a large cable. Here's what this little, these little elements connect us to. What I want you to think of when you take them in anticipation. Revelation 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street and the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servant will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Let's all stand. So this is the table of the Lord, the perpetual presence. I might just say in addendum, when you break bread, when we get back to the real elements again, when you break bread with one another, you don't talk about the cardinals or the weather or looks like you lost a couple pounds. Don't flatter each other. The message that you communicate to each other is the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, Phil. The Lord is with you, Don. Now take these elements and celebrate with me his perpetual presence because I'm with you. Now that is true encouragement and edification. I leave built up as I take the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blood and the wine. We thank you that you came and you humbled yourself to provide this incredible meal for us. And we remember today, we remember what you did and we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Our hearts are filled with thanksgiving. We remember who you are. And we say, you are worth it. Every struggle, every pain, every trial that we go through makes us stronger and closer to you and helps us know who you are. And we say, you are worth it. And one day we can't wait to click the glass with you and say, hallelujah. The Lord our God reigns. Every enemy has been triumphed over and the kingdom has come. We can't wait. And so we pray, 
Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen.